Welcome to Untapped Higher Education. I'm your host, Wes Hallam, and today I'm really excited to be joined by Ian Dunn, a provost at Coventry University. Uh, lots of people have looked at Coventry University as being a bit of a trailblazer over the past few years, so I'm really excited to be looking at what Ian's view on the world is, about what the current challenges and what's coming next for higher education. So, Ian, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Wes. Thank you. I also should introduce, um, this is Archie, um, who's sitting just in the background, but um, hopefully he won't be too noisy uh, as, as, we, as we talk. Uh, don't you worry. Normally my cats will come and interrupt me at some point as okay. well, so, so it's it's quite okay. Um, so I, I guess the, the first place I wanted to start is um, when I've been talking to, to some people as part of this of this show, um, we've been looking at micro uh, kind of micro issues around a particular course, around a particular discipline, or something like that. But kind of wanted to get your perspective on 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 the macro about what you think the biggest challenge at the moment is in higher education. Like what what is the thing that everybody should be cognizant of and, and starting to to do something about? Oh, there are there are a whole range of things. Where's that? Um, I mean, clearly finance. Um, there's been in the UK or in England, sorry, um, there's been no increase in tuition fees for undergraduates since 2015. And that increase was only £250 on the on the 9,000. Um, and it's very clear to us that um, it, there isn't going to be an increase, I wouldn't have thought, until at least 28, 29, that sort of uh, period. And indeed, you have a rhetoric that suggests uh, a reduction in those fees. So that makes undergraduate UK undergraduate teaching very difficult to uh, to to explain, but a fundamental part of what we are and who we are. And so I think every university is battling to make sure that they um, figure out how to deliver to undergraduates effectively. So finances, in a general sense, are are, are really uh, really important. Um, I think we're starting to figure out some clarity in the, the Brexit stuff. Um, you know, perhaps universities are not high on everyone's thinking about what impact that Brexit had, but the association or not to Horizon is a really important aspect for our researchers and um, being able to, not only about the money, but also about the community and about being part of communities of research, which, which span the leading institutions across Europe, really important. So... Brexit, from that perspective, Brexit from the student, EU student perspective, important. Um, those two things are sort of now and immediate. I think the pandemic brought into sharp relief some other big questions about the, the state of digital estate in, in our um, institutions. And the fact that, you know, since people went into... Um, virtual learning environments big time in the early 2000s, largely, uh, perhaps late to 90s, um, and student record systems, which um, are great behemoths and have become the sort of, um, I think there's a, there's a big question about how you manage a much larger institution than they were in that time and how you provide um, both uh, an education that has digital support, but also... Um, student records that are um, not just about recording and reporting, but actually about using the data to manage and individualize and personalize the, 
the learning journey, a really rich source of um, information, particularly with um, AI solutions now being so advanced and so available to us, but um, how we use them is still a, a big question. I'm not talking yet about chat GPT, but that's an exciting prospect in itself. It's really, um, uh, really uh, exciting. Um, and I think the, for me, you know, Coventry has been doing this because we believe that education sitting in the silo of higher education um, on its own, when further education and schools sit separately and internationally, it's not dissimilar to, we have a very large number of very small institutions around the world. Um, uh, and, you know, coming from Coventry, the automotive industry was um, uh, had an awful lot of... There were 100 manufacturers in Coventry itself in 1918. There aren't 100 manufacturers now, and um, there aren't 100 manufacturers, I would have thought, around the world. So I'm not suggesting that car making and universities are the same thing, but why did the car makers become merged and why did they then sort of develop those brands as big big brands i think it's because they wanted to take cost out of the administration and the running of the institution and the development and the design in order that you make great products at a, a price people are willing to pay golly there's a lesson there for us as well in in, in higher education leadership to uh, to think about um the structure of universities even in the school sector now in the uk we have we have multi-academy trusts um in some ways they i think there's quite a lot of learning we could do from 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 those about um about the way in which you could bring and make effective not efficient in financial terms alone but effective um uh, groups of uh, higher education and, and, and education generally so i think there are many big questions out there that's that's really interesting i think you're you're right we we very rarely see kind of restructuring and reordering of higher education institutes occasionally I'm just trying to think I think I remember I think Bedfordshire went through a merger of three colleges about you know oh God, about 10 years ago or something like that I don't know exactly when it was a bit more, a bit more yeah a bit, yeah. bit bit more than that um but yeah there's there often seems to be a little bit of um I know exceptionalism around higher education institutions that, that they they're they're they sit us apart from know the business world the other education world and that they approach their problems in a in a very unique way um yeah. and i think sometimes that can that can possibly limit the amount of innovation and development that's that that places can have i mean one of the things i've i i've often spoken to other people about with with about coventry is that it's it, from my perspective it was always one of the institutions that felt the most business-like that i worked with in that change was an inbuilt part and still is an inbuilt part of 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 kind of the psyche and there's there's a very there's an aggressive track of change and development and renewal and things like that that, that other institutions i think struggle with a little there's my 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 complaint of higher education has always been that you know somebody will test something for a year and then we'll have a year of review and then we'll have two years of 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 you know peer review of that review and and you know it's four or five years to you know change it what could be quite a small little thing and you see that kind of on the on the micro level of this course they want to introduce a new thing and there's so many layers of of, of hierarchy and decision making that, that people have to go to 
but you also kind of see that at the at the higher level of of I don't know it's but potentially it's something that that the institutions themselves need to get better at of of creating change more quickly and kind of putting that in place I think your point about business um and business would be used in higher education largely as a sort of pejorative term that sort of um which is a, a real shame I mean it's 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 so it's, it's so unfortunate I'm not sure um people in leadership positions across universities would 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 see it that way but there's this sort of belief that you can't be academically robust and rigorous and business-like in the same in the same organization that these two things are in conflict and they might be if we if we simply pitch them in um you know an aggressive business frame and um a traditional um uh, collegiate model of higher education but Professor Ian McNay um, wrote a really interesting paper on this a very long time ago. I think it was in the late 80s or early 90s. So it's, it's a really long time ago. And he talked about the transition from, from the collegium to, um, um, uh, uh, to a bureaucratic and a managerial and an entrepreneurial sort of frame um, and the way in which, and about the levels of control that exist in different places. And um, I think we need to we need to work on that. I think there's something there that that we that we that we can exploit for for the future. Um, the idea that um, being efficient, you know, my staff, of course, um, expect to be paid at the end of every month, um, and there needs to be enough cash in the in the system in order to be able to do that. Um, so making sure that we are as efficient and effective as we possibly can be, balancing all of the different aspects of being a university, teaching, research, knowledge transfer, the international agenda, and so on. Um, and Coventry, we're a wide access institution. We're enormously proud to be a wide access institution. I don't think, I think I would have an enormous challenge if I was to take to our board a, a desire to to move that and to shrink the institution to be um uh, to be more elite or something. Um, but I don't think by being wide access we should be unambitious about the outcomes, and they should be elite. That 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 someone who's come through and fought through to get into a into that situation should be given uh, real opportunities, and that's where I think the technology. And particularly the data that we hold about um, a learner uh, should be used to really um, accelerate their engagement with a subject um, so that we can start to aspire at least to an elite education for a mass population. I think that would be really, um, really good. I, I think you're right. The, uh, I've, I've always looked at some of the more elite universities and looked at what elite in in inverted commas and looking at what to, sometimes what do they what do they offer and, and and how much focus is placed on the the teaching and development of those those students and there's always going to be competing um there's always going to be com competition between those things but and many of them do you know we i'm not in any way uh, diminishing the incredible achievements of those places uh, not at all the coventry is just different uh, to uh, to them but i don't think we should be different to them in just accepting that if you've had a very privileged um, school background, that then you progress to a, um, um, a, a, a one of the uh, Russell Group universities or, or, 
potentially to Oxbridge, that that then automatically buys you into um, um, uh, the, the the highest levels of of employment in the professions, because that diminishes the diversity and the potential for those professions to really embrace the modern world rather than the past. Uh, so, you know, I think it's we we should be ambitious at Coventry to get all of our students into really high level jobs. You know, I should be. I say this to our leaders all the time, you know, we should be out in the professions arguing for a Coventry student to be taken ahead of anyone else um, from wherever they come in the world, because that's what we believe in. No, I think I think you're I think you're on the right track with that one for yeah. sure. Um, it's quite interesting when you're saying about the um, when you're talking about the data around students, one of the things I've always uh, I've always admired about how you approach things in in um, in Coventry is looking at kind of those looking at those data points about students, not just as you said that reporting and 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 kind of tracking and measuring, but looking at how do we actually use that information to support. Tell me, could you tell me a little bit about? about how how that works what you do with that because i think it's it's a oh, it's a it's a slightly different approach to what other people have looked at we're nowhere near um and, and there's been good press recently um uh, the model that was developed at northumbria peter francis before he went off to birmingham city he did some amazing work to look at um, how to support the mental health looking at metrics that support um students who may be approaching crisis and, and how do you rescue them before they get to that point I think that's absolutely part of uh, part of it, uh, but we we hold um, enormous amounts of uh, of data, or, or we could, uh, we actually don't necessarily choose to hold it. So, in terms of being able to make sure students are engaged with their learning, there are plenty of proxies out there for, you know, about it, um, use of the library and about um, use of the e resources that um, I can know how often a students used a particular page in a particular text um, if, if, if we're so inclined. And, you know, are they submitting on time? Are they, um, are they attending classes? All of those sorts of things about engagement, we can, we can use as proxies to make sure that we support students. I think the next phase is, as we embed into, in, into the learning, um, an ability to ask questions, um about the concept that's been introduced at the moment we would test that knowledge many weeks later in an examination or in a um, um a phase test or something like that but if we introduce a concept then i could use the time to you know you've, you've done lots of this sort of stuff with us um at that moment to test whether someone um understands or appears to understand, perhaps rather than understand, because I don't see, uh, do, do they get the right answer to um, a, a simple set of questions? How quickly do they respond to those questions? How confident, therefore, can I draw an inference about their confidence about the subject? I'm told that um, I was talking with Paul LeBlanc from Southern New Hampshire last week, and Paul is probably the greatest innovator in, the, uh, in this space in the world, talking to an ed tech company um, who um you can set a question uh, so ai you go through the course ai approaches pose the question but through video so there's an avatar that's driven through the question but it's personal to the learner 
the learner then you can give them a, an amount of time to to think a minute two minutes and then they record their 60 second video clip back and the video is assessed as to their nervousness and their confidence and their knowledge um if we can build those sorts of things into um into a course um and then start to aggregate those pieces of data i will soon see um who gets a principal concept quickly and i can stretch them i can i can provide them with materials which which take them off in in a real journey through of learning and sort of engage them because one of the things that we want to do is to reduce those awarding gaps and stretch people um, as well as rescue people but equally for the student who thinks that you know is really confident that they knew the answer but gets it wrong every time then there's a very different sort of scaffolding i need i need some foundational principles and i can feed those to the to that learner uh, and they both progress through the same class but they've taken a different pathway through that um that progression and given that knowledge or information anyway is now um so easily available with tools like chat gpt you know i can i can summon up any amount of information what we do with it it's how we discern and um, evaluate that information and how we how we make use of it um to to, to really understand uh, that that's that that can be the real um, uh, transition point for higher education so 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 I've, the ambition for the data is to be able to nudge students back into engagement before they realize they're disengaging so that they don't feel and all of this is machine to human to human so i'm not the machine telling a student because i think that's not necessarily always well received so let's use a team of people who know how to interpret it and then sort of um, uh, advise the student second phase is this learning phase and the third phase is about well-being and if i spot someone who's near near or um, uh, approaching crisis then being able to rescue them very quickly or to make people feel reassured very quickly so i think there are three big phases for me that tech and data can 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 afford now i think you've you've really held some fascinating things there i i, I remember being um this was hobby oh, seven eight seven years ago now almost of working with a a with Oh, was it Bolton College? And they had built an AI. This is sort of before things were more publicly available, but they'd worked with um, IBM and Watson to do NLP-based um, AI questions. I remember going and working with them and them being able to ask a natural question and about a student, and it would put it into you know natural language uh, to say, oh, this person's had these many days off and done this. And I remember at the time thinking, that's, you know, it's visionary, it's groundbreaking, it's astonishing. And just six, seven years later, you know, the 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 sudden plethora of AI driven tools of being able to train it on data um, and to, to give it something unstructured to bring it into something structured. I think we're well, going to see a lot of it. Absolutely. But the problem is that we just and I think the reason you haven't seen those things sort of explode into is that we just don't have our base systems where we gather all of that data, where, where you know, they're just not um, structured in the right way. We build on student record systems, which are designed to report data to a regulator, not to support the student learning journey. Mm. And that, um, that I think is um, um, uh, unfortunate because that transformation 
that we need to make the base level transformation. Lots of people are talking about this now, but I, I, I think we should be under no misunderstanding that we're talking hundreds of millions of pounds per institution. And it comes back to my first point about financial sustainability. Um, can we afford to do it individually or do we need to be in a much larger? Perhaps if you're Oxford or Cambridge with turnovers of 2.5 or 3 billion um, pounds, you can afford to do it, although they have other structural um, difficulties. Um, I know places like Manchester and Leeds, big, big institutions, Edinburgh, have been through or are going through these uh, these transformation projects as we are, um, but gosh, it's a painful, hard process. It takes a lot of time, and you need a lot of resource, and it's very expensive. Yeah, I I, I think we're I think the leap from being able to do something small on your own using a free version of an AI tool makes everybody jump to the conclusion that it's it's oh well we could just do that at an institutional level and actually no it's it there is so much investment that is needed i mean we we've we've been doing quite a lot of conversations about chat gpt at the moment about you know it's it's it is the the hot button topic at at present um and people getting very panicky about it about what's it going to do and how's it going to impact and you know we we did a we did a, a session with a guy from oxford who's a very very knowledgeable guy on chat gpt um and his his perspective on it was that most students are not going to be capable of doing something that is going to trick a, an institution and if and he was just like, it's so far away from being used at a wide scale basis because, you know, even even now you can't actually log in half the time because it's it's full up on server. So it's it's sort of, um, yeah, that shift into the institutional model is going to be really interesting to see who kind of, yeah. who bolts for that first or who, well, to be honest, who's got the money to do that first in the current climate. I do hope that we don't look at it as something that we have to close down um but that's something that's a huge opportunity to um to transform um you know we've been on a journey pedagogic journey at coventry for 15 years now talking about active led activity-led learning um that it's not about the information input sessions um but it's about what we do with it uh, that's really really important it's about how teams work together to solve real problems um um that, that's really exciting and that's um it's it's tough it's a tough call from an academic perspective because when you can prepare um, um an hour's lecture um with a number of slides and perhaps a piece of video and a, a an audio clip or whatever then that's rather neat and contained and i can deliver it multiple times whereas the student group if i have three different student groups they'll all do something different and um i can't control that i I just have to be recognizing that I'm a subject expert and that they are aspiring to be subject experts and think I'm in that frame and support them in the journey and being honest about saying, I don't know, I, I don't know the answer to your question. That's we're going to go on a journey together and learn um, uh, and learn this particular point. So, but that, that's hard from an academic perspective because we're trained to be the expert um, that you know everything. Um, and that's, that's not the way life is. I know it's um, that I keep coming back to the point of when the internet became widespread <laughs> and 
exactly the same conversations happened about how the internet was going to ruin being sat in a lecture and it was going to to completely dismantle everything about education and people would just google the answers you know well yes if you continue to do exactly the same thing as you've done for the last 200 years then yes the new technology will change it but um it's kind of that that mentality of change is is so important and haven't we all sat through lectures that deserve to be ruined? I mean, just so many. Now, a, a brilliant lecture that it captures your uh, interest is an amazing thing, but it requires more than just content. It's about performance and about uh, passion and all sorts of, as well as knowledge. Um, and you can't do that when you're doing it six times a week or something like that. It's just not, well... You know, he, 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 I, I, well, I don't think he can. I don't know six or even more times, and then you've got the seminars and stuff. So um, no, I think we um, um, we need to recognise that we produce that great lecture content um, in 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 interesting online modes that makes it available when the student wants it and can review it many times, and that we use our time much more wisely to to support the student in their learning. So. Um, unfortunately, we have to deal with a regulator who, at the moment, is suggesting that online doesn't count and you shouldn't be doing it. Um, we would disagree with that and certainly have disagreed that, that as long as you are making plenty of time available on campus uh, for, for real learning to take place, that, that the input sessions being online is a, is a great addition. We were I was talking to... Uh... So one of the one of the associate deans in your business school, actually, George, George Hulin, I know, I've, I've known him for a while. Um, and we were chatting the other day about attendance um, and that attendance in the post-pandemic world is, is proving to be really challenging because students aren't turning up for normal lectures. And we were sort of discussing it and going through and, and we sort of had quite a frank conversation about if you were a And I'm not sure about that. Yeah, I, I lost you for a moment there, Wes, but I think I got most of uh, <laughs> what you're saying. Oh, I, the, the, the joys of the internet. I um um I, I, I do agree. Attendance. We know engagement with your tutors is a really important part of learning, but we translate that as attendance at every one of their lectures, the exciting, the passionate, and the dull, uh, being all the same. It's not, and so. I think I would agree that um, uh, engagement is needs to be measured in a very different sort of way, um, but that that actually engaging physically in a classroom with those people from time at at certain points is a is a very important part of the campus experience. If you want a fully online experience, those things exist, um, and there are some very good models of uh, fully online. I mentioned Paul at Southern New Hampshire. Uh, their competence-based model allows you to, you're not time constrained. So you can press the pause button if you're a busy, mature student who's got work to. Um, and so there are some great models out there to uh, to to provide real access to uh, to higher education and um, a university degree. Um, but let's find a, a better way than simply saying that you've got to attend every 
um, every um, occasion that we um, deem that we're going to, um, you know, whether it fits your calendar or not, we, you know, three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon um, is um, is this lecture. Well, things have moved on somewhat. I, I remember the, the during my undergrad, the 9am lecture on a Thursday, bearing in mind I played in the, I was in the rugby team and I think I made that once um, because, you know, it, it didn't fit into the other life that I was having whilst at university. And, and I think that's something that yeah. um, it's particularly strong. It's more noticeable now is that the vast, you know, a vast majority of students or, or certainly an increasing number of students now have a much more demanding or, or robust life outside of studying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And sort of the the model of you're going to university and you're going to just focus on doing that yeah. for three years just doesn't it, it is is not as true as it used to be. And when you've got to catch a train um, because you're commuting or a bus, um, as you say, that nine o'clock lecture when you're in peak commuter time, it's more expensive. And so, you know, how do we accommodate all of those sorts of um, things? I'm not suggesting, by the way, that we can't um, we can operate the university only in off-peak hours, because that, that would be uh, very, uh, very difficult. Um, but we have so many students who now commute for all sorts of reasons, commuters for personal and caring and living at home reasons, commuters because of, um, I don't know, we have got plenty of um, international students who family own property in London and they live in London and they in very expensive cars will drive up the m1 and um and, and and pop into class and um we just need to be more aware you know we have a population who are less willing to simply give in to the model that we um the, that we impose and we need to debate and discuss more with our students about um how we make this work and arrive at a contract that works for everyone no, I think I, I think you're right. It's it's we're seeing more and more more of the student voice becoming becoming louder, and that they are wanting to be more involved in in the decision making, and you know they 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 appear to be more demanding, but I think it's those demands have always been there. They're just probably a little better at vocalizing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more of them. True. So. It's it's amplified by volume. I think um, more than more, more than almost anything else, uh, and that's great. You know, um, yeah. So um, I want to ask you one one more question before we go, because otherwise I will talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> one of the I like to try and think further ahead with with these with, with these sort of podcast sessions because each individual person has got a very different view of what the future looks like based on, on what they're looking at and and i would be i would be um well i'd be missing out if i didn't ask you from your very senior perspective what do you think the big changes are going to be in higher education over the next five six ten years that universities need to be thinking about now um well i think i, I said this in my my opening sort of answer um that that idea of um, the financial imperative and therefore being um, efficient in the in the back office service in order that you can put the money forward to to the classroom 
um, and that for I think um, the development of larger groupings of institution that can share those costs in in ways which bring efficiency, um, that that bring value to local and regional um, situations. You know, in terms of um, being able to provide to a small and medium-sized enterprise apprenticeships at level two through to level seven, um, or to be able to provide um, a learning pathway for, I don't know, a five-year-old joining one of your primary schools who then never has to reapply for um, a place. Sure, they can go elsewhere, but never has to reapply in, in, inside your inside inside that family. I think those things are exciting. Um, but I think the the grouping to um to bring efficiency of cost base is is, is in the five or six years is, is is going to be something that we we start to see fascinating I'll, i will uh i will keep keep tabs on um on what's happening with that i think <laughs> I, I think that'll be um that could be a serious change to how the whole um sector sector works um so i just wanted to say thank you so much for 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 joining me today um it's always I always have good conversations with you uh, whenever I get to have them. And this is certainly one of them. Um, so just to say thank you. Um, my guest today was uh, is Ian Dunn, provost at Coventry University. Thank you um, very much, Ian, for joining us. Thanks, Wes. Thank you very much. Thanks for making it to the end of this episode of Untapped Higher Education. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a like or a rating as it helps us to share the podcast with more people. If you'd like to find out more about the topics that we're discussing or get breakdowns of these interviews, you can visit the blog for Untapped, which is available in the show notes. And if you have any suggestions for topics or areas that we should be covering, please don't hesitate to get in touch. I'll see you in the next one.